look back at it. Look up at me while you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the noise of the robot? <laughs> You like a what? Like a essence, like a like a we're doing shit because I'm just fucking bullshit. We're doing a fucking party. podcast, exactly. Of, it's a fucking a podcast. <laughs> That's what this is. People listen to this to fucking just listen to us bullshit. It's frozen up like a bitch. I am not frozen up in the slightest. What episode you fat fuck? <laughs> Masturbation. Hello, boys and ghouls. This is your friend, Mr. J, here, welcoming you to that strange show. Remember, what doesn't kill you only makes you stranger. <laughs> yeah! Welcome back to another bonus episode. Uh, this week we got Bernie Lomax, Dr. Cruz, Uncle Max, Count Gunther Spritzer. So sit back and enjoy Mr. Terry Kaiser. Where would you like to go? I don't know that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. everyone with a career spanning 53 years you've seen this iconic actor everywhere from hawaii to falling victim to one of horror's most iconic killers to laying around the beach with andrew mccarthy to <laughs> transplanting paul walker's brain in a, ro- a ro- robotic dinosaur robot uh, we are extremely excited to welcome our guest mr terry kaiser thank you very much thank you nice to be here guys nice to be on the coast. Uh, I live now, I have a little ranch in Colorado by Telluride. Uh-huh. So uh, it's starting to get nice and warm there, but it's sure nice to be back here. I started everything off in New York, so it's close to Boston. What, four hours? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We always used to have a, um, every, Every year, it, it stopped about, I think, six years ago or something like this, or ten years straight, we used to have a, a celebrity golf tournament that we uh, went to on the Cape. And what a time that was. I mean, talk about a bucket list. You know, as soon as you, you know, arrive, they give you a couple of lobsters and you sit you down and here you go. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Nice to be back. Who's got questions? Anybody? Open up. I got some questions, but if you guys want to open up the floor or... or I got a question. Yeah, go for it. In Weekend at Bernie's, 
how did you stay so still and not laugh in some of those scenes? Bless you, my child, bless you. <laughs> you know, it's funny, with, with that movie, uh, uh, well, to start off, um, how did we stay still? It wasn't a matter of staying still. It was a matter of kind of giggling. And the whole idea was trying to break up each other. And, but what that did, as a craftsman, it uh, kept everything fresh. Kept everything like it just was happening, which it was. And uh, I think that's the success of the movie, that you're seeing something spontaneous, because it was. And uh, so to stay still, I don't know. But I'll tell you a funny story about the first time I saw dailies when I played Dead. Uh, in other words, he was alive at the beginning of the first movie and stuff like this. We shot in New York and then we moved out uh, uh, on, the, on the coast. And the first shot of me dead, dailies are the, you see the next day of what you shot the day before. And when I saw the dailies of the first time I was dead on screen, I looked and I said, it's not funny. He's dead. He's dead dead, not funny dead. And I'm going, wow. And I went back to the hotel and <coughs> I thought about it and I thought about it. And I mean, I thought about it. And I said, I, I said he's just dead dead. It's not funny dead. What, what, what do you do? And I think any craftsman goes back to ABCs. What the hell? What what am I doing here? You know, what is this character doing? <clears throat> and it's two o'clock in the morning now, and I'm. You know, and they said, "Well, he's trying to make these guys laugh. He's trying to giggle." And this is kind of where the Bernie smirk came from, because I'm going, "Well, what? If I'm dead, what's funny dead? What can be funny dead?" And I remember standing in front of the mirror, literally 2, 2.30 in the morning. And I'm going something, you know, trying to do something. And I knew whatever I came up with, I was going to have to hold for a minute and a half, two minutes on you know, the thing. And I'm going with my mouth and stuff like this. And finally I get this, this, this thing up here. I said, oh, that's funny. That's funny. That could... Can I hold this? And I go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's just two thirty in the morning. I mean, you know, somebody walked in; they think it was a maniac. <laughs> and finally, I got this thing where it could hold up. And so, the next day we started shooting, and I could get right into it. I go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I could rock into the thing. And lo and behold, the crew started laughing. And when you can get a crew laughing. You know, I mean, they've seen it all, right? Here we got another actor from Hollywood. Here we go. Come on, let's get out of here. Well, they laughed. And I said, hmm. Next day we saw dailies, and I saw the thing, and I said, oh, okay. He's funny dead. He's not just dead dead. And that was really like the, a change in the movie right there. Fascinating, huh? Wow, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Anybody else? No questions from anybody else. Um, I'd like to jump over to the Friday the 13th, Part 7. Which one? Part 7, where you play Dr. Cruz. Oh, that guy, yeah. Uh, Who? Uh, acting as, like, kind of the 
the uh, side story villain in the story, you know, as, as opposed to the impending doom of Jason uh, in the background. Um, how did that come about as a role that you wanted to play, and was uh, how was it as an experience in uh, being a part of that series? Um, <clears throat> I remember I, I, I got a call from my agent. They said they want they would like you to do this part. And I don't know, and what? This is, it's, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, part 7th. Uh, let me see the character. What is it? So they sent me the script, and I, I looked at this thing. Oh, okay, yeah. And I saw that, uh, you know, he wasn't just a good guy. He was, oh, this is fascinating. And I think that's where you get lucky if you're a character actor. Because your character actors get the good parts. You know, they're always interesting. They're always something, something's going on. And so I liked the character. And so I said, yeah. And so they flew us out to wherever we were. But it turned into, the character was fine. But it was all night shooting, you know. Everything was at night. You go to work at 6 o'clock at night, and you get home at 6 o'clock in the morning. And... We were in a swamp, and we had a wrangler that was looking for crocodiles and another wrangler that was looking for snakes to keep them away from the trailers in the swamp at night. And there was no, you know, fun still. Oh, let's go out for a drink after we're done shooting. It's six in the morning, you know, I mean, let's go to dinner. It's not dinner, it's breakfast. I don't want breakfast, I want to go to sleep. <clears throat> so the shoot, was uh, real crazy. It wasn't fun, but anytime I have a role, you know, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the craft. I enjoy the craft of acting. Uh, <clears throat> where did it all come from? It came from, I'm a lifetime member of the Actors Studio in New York City uh, with Lee Strasberg, the guru of acting teachers, so I feel blessed that uh, I literally was under his wing for five years in New York City studying stuff. And so that gave me a real understanding of the craft, it gave me an understanding of appreciating, of being able to do something good. Uh, it was a wonderful feeling, and it kind of grew from that. Because I, I kind of started off in the Midwest. You can't be an actor, you know, in the Midwest, you know, as a craft. I mean, I look at you funny. Uh, so I was a, a graduate industrial engineer from Kansas University, uh, civil and business. And I practiced for six months at a place called Cornhusker Paving Company. How about that for a name? <laughs> Jesus, God. We, we bid on, we bid on uh, uh, highways and PCP, reinforced concrete pipe, seven-foot pipe. And I practiced for six months, and I said, I had this dream. I wanted to be an actor. In other words, and I had been acting since I was like in the sixth grade or something, and all amateur stuff, and started my own theater in the summertime. And you know what? I mean, it did a lot, a lot of stage, a lot of stage at an amateur level. And I said, no, I gotta try it. I gotta at least try it, because I'm gonna look back, and if I didn't try it, I was gonna be very disappointed in something that I really loved, this craft of acting. And so I got on a bus, 
was $1,500 in my pocket to go to New York City. And I, I remember my, my mother like this, with tears going down her face, not knowing what I was going to get into because all she knew about, she'd never been to New York, but she knew there were a lot of gays in the theater and, I, and they're blacks. So I was going to be, a, you know, I, I, who the hell knows what, you know, what, what this lovely woman that uh, was teared, you know, like this. And I went. Uh, but a wise old man told me it's not for life. In other words, if you're going to do something, you know, you can commit to it, but it doesn't have to, we always think that it's going to be the rest of your life. Oh, Jesus, i got to do that. And, and you give it a time period. Give it, I gave it five years. Because when you do that, you get in perspective that, that because you can't think forever. You know, like, oh my God, what am I going to do? When I'm 90 years old, am I going to, no, no, five years for Christ's sake. Just give it, I gave it five years. And uh, <clears throat> uh, I was um, uh, successful in New York, won, won uh, uh, some awards on Broadway and stuff like that. And uh, uh, this is kind of where it all started, where it all started. And I think, uh, you know, when you're in the Midwest, should I go to Los Angeles or should I go to New York? You know, which, which, what, what, what? And thank God I chose New York. And I think it was because I wanted to study with Lee Strasberg if this was possible. And I said, you know, if you're going to do something, to try to do it the best way you can. And to me at that time, Strasberg was the best of all time. And so I think an actor has an advantage if you start off in New York, if you're a stage actor, because the make transition from stage to film is easy. If you're a, if you're a film actor and go to stage, that's tough. That's tough. And what do you get when you're on stage? You get a feeling of, of with comedy. You get a feedback right away from the audience. So you have timing. You have timing. And when serious things, you have timing too. You can feel that audience if you have them. If they're if they're listening and they're. You, you can feel those pauses and things like that. Uh, so when I went out to uh, Hollywood, and I remember my first guest star role, and, uh, and, and this guy turned out to be a dear friend all, all these years, Lee Majors, and he was doing Six Million Dollar Man. I didn't know him from Crate Eggs. And, uh, and I had this part, and uh, the part was, at the end, I was dying. So, I was going to die. As a stage actor, I will die for you. You know, the balcony, here I come. And uh, Lee went to the director, and he said, this is a fine young actor. He won a lot of awards in New York and stuff. And he says he, he's not used to the camera and things like that. And Drake said, oh, I think we're okay, we can do it. Terry and I said, what? <laughs> Tell me to die again, what do you want? Uh, he said, take it down, take it down. Take it down, because you, the camera's right here, and you're not doing it to the balcony up here. And I said, oh, 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 oh. I was a kid, you know, I didn't put it, oh, oh, I see like this. But see, that, that transition is easy. If you're, if you're, if you're a film actor, and you go to Broadway, all of a sudden you go, oh, like, we can't hear you in the balcony over there, we can't hear you. So the, it was an easy transition. And it's fascinating how you have to bring it down. Because uh, 
my, my philosophy was uh, acting is learning how not to act. It's that simple. You know, don't do, when in doubt, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Be still. Be still. Because that camera, you're, when you have a close-up on you in the, in the film world, you know, on screen, in the theater, your eyeball is 66 times bigger than your eyeball. Your eyeball is just big. Now, what do you have to do? Nothing. You know, you want to move that eyeball around and stuff like this a bit. Don't do anything. Just, just get real thoughts going through your head and things like that. That's all you have to do. <clears throat> Lee Strasberg did a wonderful thing. He says, when you have that and you're looking out and stuff like this, and you think, you have to have thoughts going through your head. And he, and he called this exercise talking to a nail. And what that means is, like if I look up and I see that red thing over there, I'll start talking to it. What the hell is that thing? What is it made out of? And why is it on the wall? Uh, could I take it off the wall? Is, is there thing that, Those are real thoughts that I'm, talk, I'm talking. See? So I'm not just, uh, you know, down here. No, I'll look at that thing and I'll start talking to it. And what that does, camera doesn't tell, well, I'm talking to this red thing on the wall. You know, they, they don't know that. But what they see are real thoughts going through your head. So it's not make-believe. I'm talking to that red thing. I'm trying to get into what is it made out of? Where did it come from? Pennsylvania? They make those in Pennsylvania? Or where? How big is it? Three inches by four? Those are thoughts. Those are real thoughts. So there's no bullshit going on. <clears throat> he taught me that. So on film, that's really easy to do. On film, you can feel in comedy or in straight, straight drama, I can feel the audience, see? Even in film, I can feel, I, I, I've had that so many experiences, so many plays of feeling that audience uh, that, it, that it becomes easy, it becomes easy. Just don't do, when in doubt, don't do anything. And uh, that's kind of been the philosophy of my craft, which I love. Uh, speaking of loving your craft, in 2013, you co-founded the Actors Arena. Uh, in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Now, um, I'm curious. How, to, how did that like come to fruition? And uh, was it, you know, the uh, the education aspect of it? Was that always kind of like a back thought or a career path you wanted to pursue? It came out of love. <laughs> what happened was, I was doing a uh, film in Dallas or someplace, and I uh, met a lady, and she was working. Um, on the set, and a young, beautiful thing, and I said, oh my golly, I started talking to her, do you want to come out to my ranch, you want to go out there, come out there? I have a guest house, I have a, you know, ease it up a little bit, I have a guest house, you can say at the guest house, you know, it's all legal. <laughs> she came out, we fell in love. She's ready to get back on the plane back to Dallas, and I'm, you know, saying, we're both crying. You know, we're both, Jesus, oh man, oh shit. What can we do? She said, well, I'm in Dallas, and you're, we're Austin. Austin, Texas, it seems that it's a, it's a, you know, a good town. It's very liberal. Got, you know, good things going on there and things like that. And I said, you'll leave Dallas? Yeah, I'll leave Dallas. We can do it. Oh, fine. Well, that's how we ended up in Austin. And when I'm there, then I'm saying, well, what am I supposed to do here? You know, what, 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 you know, 
I was, I was happening to doing a, um, a series in Nashville, so I was flying out uh, every week uh, to Nashville. And, but I had time uh, between, I, I fly out like Thursday morning, shoot Thursday afternoon, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and fly back Monday. That was like kind of the, the schedule for this. And uh, she was the one that said, well, want to start a school? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you love the crap. Why don't you teach it? I said, well, I said, yeah, try it. I said, well, sure, all right, well, we'll try it, we'll try it, we'll try it. So <clears throat> we met a lady there in Austin, and, and then we then we both flew back. We found a place in Austin. Okay, this is what we're going to do. So she went back to Dallas, I went back to Colorado, and we're going to come back in uh, five weeks or something like that. We met a lady there, and she says, well, we'll help you with the school. You know, we'll help you, you know, get, I said, well, well let's have, we'll have a, uh, um, a thing with people. We'll invite people. We'll do a couple of scenes. You talk about acting, and we'll go from there. I said, all right, let's do that. And, uh, and I kind of said, well, what if nobody shows up? You know, you know, I'm come, come see this guy, and, you know, out of that, we can get people for the school and stuff like this. So we didn't know, so they started advertising, okay, thing, and all of a sudden we got back, three people have signed up. I said, oh, thank God, okay, okay, that's good, that's good, three people, that's fine, that's fine with me. There's seven people now, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, oh, that's good, yeah. 36 people, for what? Are you kidding? What's going on here? A hundred and six, what? 270 people showed up. I had to get a bigger place and things like this, and... And I got up there and I started talking about the craft of acting. And I had a couple of uh, uh, people uh, do scenes that were from there and that the, this other gal had said, you know, would you do scenes for this church? Sure, sure. So, so we had kept, so I talked about the scenes and stuff like that and how to do stuff and talked and talked and stuff like that. And when it was over, I said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And my lady friend came up, she said, Joy, she said, do you know what just happened? I said, what? I said, uh, it was fun, it was nice. She said, no, do you know what just happened? I said, no, they gave you a standing ovation. I said, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. I, good, good, that's good, that's good. Well, people signed up. Uh, we were sold out for two and a half years that we were there. Uh, not only did I have an adult class, classes, but I had a couple of kids' classes, too. And I love teaching kids, you know, little people. Because it's such a, a joy to see this energy, this raw energy in this minds of these young kids, and how not to stifle it, but let it grow. You know, in other words, never stomp it down. I, I've never, in, in teaching acting, Lee Strasberg never said a negative thing about anybody. Ever. You know. They say, no, that's not right. Don't do that. That's too much. You know, if you do that. But never put down somebody as a, as a craftsman. Never, never. And I never would either. I mean, if you were up there doing it, I, and mostly these kids, and to see these little kids jump and joy and stuff like this, and I have quite a few that are making money. I mean, uh, big time. And uh, that was a joy. So that's kind of how the studio came about. Uh, and what happened was, 
my lady friend's mother got Alzheimer's. She said, Terry, I gotta go back to Dallas. I gotta take care of her, I'm the only one. I said, I understand. She goes back and I'm sitting in the house. I said, what the hell am I doing here? And I went to the head of the person that was uh, running my studio for me. I said, I gotta go home. They said, well, what about your studio? And things like that. I said, I have to go home. Back to, back to my ranch. Went back home. That's the story of uh, the Actors Arena. A great memory for me. Great memory. Anyone? Questions? Mr. Terry Kaiser? You guys are shy today. I'll throw, yeah, I'll throw, I'll throw another one out there for you. Um, out of your, I mean, I feel like using the word extensive is kind of undershooting a 53-year career. Yeah. But is that out of that career, you got a lot of you know, character actor roles and things like that. Is there any one of them in particular that was your favorite, how it turned out, or just your favorite to play in general or storyline-wise, or just general favorite? No. No. I enjoy, and for real, I enjoy every time I get to memorize a couple of lines or work on a part. Uh, I've had some incredible roles in my life. Um, Hill Street Blues, uh, the series. I had a four-part four uh, thing on their thing playing a character. Uh, he was a stand-up comic that kept falling asleep during his comedy act. He was a narcoleptic, uh, you know, uh, comic, kept falling asleep. And his name <coughs> was Vic Hitler. And I remember one of the funny slides that, uh, that they, uh, when I got arrested, because I had, uh, I think, something like 150 parking tickets in my glove compartment. And uh, they arrested me in Hill Street Blues, and they brought me in, and you're a stand-up comic. And I kept doing, you know, one, hey, oh, did you hear this? And I, you know, they laughing. Did you ever think of, you know, I mean, you're a stand-up comic? Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it very much. Did you ever think of changing your name? No. And all of a sudden, that was, that was the whole character, because I hesitated, and I said, why? And being named Vic Hitler, and just that hesitation of saying, why should I change my name, gave that innocence of that character, the vulnerability of that character, and that was like a key to me. And another key to that part was, how do, how do I fall asleep during a comedy act? What do you do? Again, talking to the nail, how can I do it real? In other words, something real, not you know, do something. And, and I, I remember getting the script, and I, I said, Jesus Christ, I, it's a stand-up comic, I'm not funny. I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm not funny. I can't, I can't do stand-up, you know, that scares me. And I went to a friend of mine who's a stand-up comic, and he said, I said, I, I can't do this. I said, I have to get in front of people and say, and say he said, give me the script. And say, okay. He said, oh, here, here, you're standing up here. Said, yeah, that's right. He said, no, 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 don't worry about it. You see in the script? They're, you're funny. They're laughing at you and applauding you. You see that in the script? And I said, oh, they are, aren't they? Uh, on the script, they did it. It freed me, you know. I didn't have to be funny because they have to laugh because it's in the script. 
How did I fall asleep during the thing? Well, I, well, well somehow I let the lights make me go to sleep because I'd be doing my comedy, uh, 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 and I look up and and all of a sudden the lights would start making me woozy. And I see these things, and 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 it made me go to sleep. Again, I'm talking to a man. It was real because I made it real. I just didn't, you know, do something. I was very specific. I look at those things, and you know, it, it would it, it would put me to sleep. Another wonderful role I had was uh, in a film called Rachel Rachel. It was the first film that Paul Newman directed, starring Joanne Woodward. I played an evangelist minister that talked in tongues in this movie. And an incredible thing with, with Paul Newman, he's all of our heroes. I mean, what, a, what, a, what an icon, what a, what a star, what a man. <clears throat> he knew that I was a, a theater actor and this was one of my first films. Uh, and I remember rehearsing uh, with Joanne Woodward, and somehow, you know, I, and I was trying to heal her. And uh, we ended up in a rehearsal. He rehearsed it like a play. We ended up underneath the table. And I was holding her, and things like this. Well, a regular young director, independent director, the, the, would say, uh, could you, yeah, that's nice, but could you do it above the table? Could you, you know, uh, think, think, no, 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 no. Newman, all of a sudden he was down on his hands and knees with the DP under the table, said, can we get this shot here? Can somehow we get the thing? What does that say? It says that he appreciates the craft of an actor. So many times you get young actor directors and things like this, that they have no idea what an actor can bring. They think, well, you can just say the lines. They have no idea the excitement that can be generated. You get somebody like Scorsese, and somebody like this, they don't care what you say. You know, atomic bomb is the only thing in this script you have to say. You see that there? But everything else, you don't, you don't have to, you just make sure atomic bomb comes out. That's all I need on the thing like that, to, to anything else. And so what it does, it frees, it frees your, 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 your craft. It frees you on things like this. Uh, another thing, I, I, how do you speak in tongues? Okay, talk to a nail. Talk, start talking to that nail. How do, you, how do you speak in tongues? Where, where does it come from? So I thought about that, I thought about that. Because when I heal, when I, when I was healing, Joanne Woodward, Oh Lord, I want you to help me here, Lord, help this woman. This is where he was. And what I did... I found, I let the word love disintegrate into tongues. What I mean by that is that, oh Lord, you hear me, Lord, I love, Lord, 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 I was talking in tongues, who the hell knew? <coughs> they don't know. People out there don't know. Nobody knows. Because it's real. You're doing something that's real. <coughs> it comes out of something. And so those roles and many more 
I mean, Bernie was a classic role right there. But, but uh, <coughs> again, I've been very fortunate in the roles that I've had, the roles that I've played, and uh, I've done good with them. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have a craft that I really, thank God, you know, I can memorize lines. But Bernie, I didn't, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful craft. But if any of you ever direct them things like that, have faith, have faith in your actors. Because there are things that'll come up. The things will happen that you don't know an actor can bring. And the actor doesn't know he can bring it. You know, that's that's a kooky thing. You know? But you have to create on a set a freedom for the actors. You think when Scorsese had uh, McConaughey and the, and the thing like that, and, and and they and they and they start doing that thing at the table, uh, uh, and he came up with, I mean, they come up with stuff. You gonna direct Daniel Day Lewis? Let him go. Let him go. What do you, you want? To, what do you want to do? Try it. Always tell him try it. Yeah, I'd like to stand on my head and do this thing, the thing like that. Script. It doesn't. What the hell is this guy doing? Talking about that thing? Sure, try it. Let's do it. Try it. Roll them. Let it go. See what happens. Don't ever cut at the end of a scene. And cut. What? Don't. Let it go. Let it go. Some of your great comic directors. Just let it go. Let it go for a little Hughes stuff again. Just see what happens. Just see what happens. Something will happen. It's amazing. When people on set say, they say, okay, you ready? Everybody ready? Think, action! I, I never go with action. Never, ever, ever. That's your action, that's not mine. Action! You want to know something? I had this... I'm doing my action. I'm doing it when I'm ready. Not when action. And I never say I never say action. I say, you get you get guys you get guys like Newman, Scorsese, and these guys. All right, everybody ready? Okay. When you're ready. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Instead of this thing like this, we're good. When when you're ready. When you're ready. When you're ready. Not so barbaric, I think, or something like that. But those are those are some of the roles that I've been very fortunate to have. Uh, things that uh, you know really stretched me, really made me look around, uh, think about things. And as I said, as a craftsman, through Strasbourg and things, that you always go back to basics. You know, always go back to trying to see what is simple. You know, simplify it. Make it make it simple. Learn how not to act. You know, just be real. And see what comes up. If you ever get, you know, just a reading of a script and something like this, don't act. Don't just, just say the lines. Just, don't, just, just say them. I don't care how you, just say them. Okay? Just don't, don't act. Okay? Just say them. Just say them. Just say them. So that's uh, the craft of acting. <laughs> I'd like awesome. to give the, awesome. I'd like to give the shot one more time for uh, any questions or anything for any Mr. Cousins. Any movies coming out? <laughs> Say it again. Any new movies that you're working on? Uh, uh, I just finished one called The Body Sculptor. Uh, interesting, interesting uh, 
concept of a man that uh, is a plastic surgeon. Uh, and uh, things kind of turn on him. He has a wonderful family. They're building a new clinic, making a lot of money, beautiful two kids, stuff like this. And uh, he always works like <clears throat> a month out of the year down in, in the jungles. Jungles is the doctors, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what the doctors in uh, whatever they do for free. You know, something like Without borders. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and he finds out secretly that he has AIDS. And this movie is back in 1960. In other words, that's when it's set. And so, <coughs> kind of means death back then. It means uh, uh, he couldn't practice his craft anymore. Surgery. Uh, he's kind of going to lose his family. He got AIDS. Oh, really? How'd that happen? Well, I, I, down in the jungle or something. Oh, really? Yeah, sure neighbors and stuff like this, so he thinks his life is falling apart, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's on a, ready to get on a plane, and he just heard this news, and he's devastated of trying how to deal with this thing, and he, and he gets in the gateway, and he goes back to the bathroom in the, in the, in the airport and throws up, and things like this, this plane takes off that he's supposed to be on, crashes. And so all of a sudden, everybody thinks he's on this plane. And he said, maybe I should just get away and go. So it's his journey, what happens on that. Interesting film. And just finished a, a short film. It's a half an hour long, but it's for the film festivals. It'll start in Telluride at the film festival there. It's a film called Speak Again from Shakespeare's Lear, famous line. He does on the mountaintop, speak again. And about a, uh, uh, a priest, it takes place in 1890, you know, a, a priest that uh, gets lost in the wilderness going to another diocese and is dying and is found by this woman, young woman, who's uh, living alone in this cabin in the wilderness. And she saves him, takes him in. That's <clears throat> the story of these two people of what, what do you mean, what's a calling? What does that mean? A calling of what? No. You gotta be hit by lightning? What do I mean, what, what, what does that mean? And the term of loneliness in all of us, you know, wherever we are. It's a very sensitive, beautiful film. I think it'll be uh, uh, quite successful on the uh, on the film circuit. Yeah, that's about it. I want to thank Mr. Geyser for coming down, taking time out of his day to come and uh, answer our questions. Thank you, everybody, for coming out for it. Uh, a round of applause. Thank you. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. 
Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary.